Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. But you better dial quickly to grab that last open line. We'll be talking to AJ and Ann and Rich, and then you just might be next on this beautiful Sunday morning. It's going to start warming up. Now, it's still going to have chilly mornings. My engineer told me he had frost on uh, his vehicle this morning, and I certainly did up in Burning, where we were down in the middle 30s. But uh, oh, it's just going to be a beautiful day. Going to be up in the 60s today. Going to get uh, a couple of degrees warmer every day for the next few days. And... Uh, just couldn't be a prettier stretch of weather other than the fact that we uh, really still need more rain but you know it sure is sure is great to get out and get some gardening done uh just do anything you can outside put off that shopping stuff unless you're going to a fun nursery or something like that save that for those rainy chilly days you know we're going to come along because this is the kind of day you really really want to spend outside if you can ah we're going to start well let's say we just let's just get started with phone calls right now and aj is up first what sort of situation does aj have going on this morning well, Bobby, we're in, a, we're in an unusual quandary. We have no situations as of this date. Oh, knock on wood when you say that. Uh, I was wondering <laughs> if you were having some problems and you needed some advice by chance. Well, you know, my problems are all the sort that uh, generally are not too major, and uh, the ones that are out there, you just have to turn them into opportunities. So I think I'm in pretty good shape this morning. Now, if you can tell me how to get around all these blasted, you know, construction cones on the highways and on the streets of San Antonio, this is the time of year I'm out delivering poinsettias and putting smiles on people's faces, but... uh, other than that, you know, things flow around pretty smoothly in my world. you got to buy one of them high-rise pickups, Bobby, where you're sitting up off the ground about three feet, and then you can go right over them. <laughs> well, I actually have one of those, but I don't drive it on a daily basis because it gets 10 miles to the gallon, and my Explorer gets 20. But, uh, yeah, you're sometimes tempted about that. But, you know, it's... Uh, it's it's best to stay within, uh, you know, at least the spirit of the law, if not the letter of the law. So, uh, anyway, it's going to be a beautiful day out there and lots of things to do. Yes, well, I just called to wish you a Merry Christmas, and I'm going to let the next caller have some more time with you, and we'll check with you later. Well, AJ, it is sure good to hear your voice early in the morning, and you know I wish you and your family and your horsies and everybody around the place uh, just a joyous holiday season. So you stay safe, stay COVID-free, and I'll look forward to our next visit. Thank you so much. All right, uh, let's see what Ann's up to this morning. Good morning, Ann. Good morning, Bob. Um, I'd like to report that uh, we just have former situations here, (laughs) (laughs) and he's such a cutie pie. Oh, I tell you, I, you know, he's he's one of these good guys that's been calling the show with good questions for, gosh, more years than I can remember. And uh, uh, anyway, it's uh, it, it's it's always fun to have first-time callers, and it's always fun to have people that you know their voice from many conversations past. <laughs> 
I just have one today. Okay. Um, Mexican feather grass. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with it? Very much so. Is it invasive and therefore not a good idea? No, it is not invasive at all. Okay. It is. It can be a difficult grass to get started. It uh, If you keep it too wet, it gets real unhappy. If you keep it too dry, it gets real unhappy. Once it has its roots down, once it's established in place, it uh, will be a good grass for years to come. But no, I would certainly not consider it invasive. But when you compare it to the Gulf Muley and, uh, you know, Little Bunny and Little Kitten and some of these other hardy, hardy native grasses that just are just are tough as nails, uh, the uh, uh, that grass is going to be a little bit more of a challenge to get started. Just watch your watering very, very carefully on it and hope and pray that Mother Nature gives us a few sunny days in between a good rainstorm now and then and uh, you'll enjoy it for years to come. I, I noticed pictures uh, in a magazine and I looked it up and uh, uh-huh. apparently California is not real thrilled with it, but there was one <laughs> uh, one um, entrance, entrance, I guess is a good way of saying it, uh, about Texas, and I thought, well, hmm, it's very attractive. Oh, yeah, it's uh, very attractive, and, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of things in California that I'm not too crazy about, and some things <laughs> that I love, but it's, you know, every plant in the world is probably a weed somewhere, and uh, mm-hmm. that one is certainly not a, it's not invasive here, it does not cause any any problems whatsoever in that regard, and uh, I would not hesitate to plant it at all. Just you know, with the codicil, that it uh, you, you've got to pay attention to it to get it started because people who don't wind up planting it a second and sometimes even a third time if they're slow learners. I love it. Thank you so much. Always have a great day. You do the same, and it's always a pleasure. And thank you. Thank you, Bob. Bye bye. Bye. All right, Rich is up next. Good morning, Rich. Hi, Rich. Are you there? Don, is Rich with us? Uh, uh, Rich, are you there? I guess uh, I guess Rich must have hit the mute button on his phone or something like that. Tell you what, I'm okay. Um, I tell you what, let me get a let me get a break out of the way here so we won't have to rush into that. And let me talk to you about Wild Birds Unlimited. I always love talking about Wild Birds Unlimited because, you know, it's just, it's all about nature. People who are close to nature just seem to enjoy life more, seem to be healthier. And Wild Birds Unlimited is one of those neat stores where Kyle and his staff, man, they know birds. And they can help you get into birding. They can help you get into just enjoyment of the outdoors in a big way. He wants to remind you, too, that this is a very important time of year for for all the birds out there, both the migrating birds and your native birds. And their diets many times kind of change in the winter months. I know at the grocery store you're going to see the same old seed and not much variety that you always see. But when you go to Wild Birds Unlimited, you're going to find things like all sorts of suet cakes. And this is one of the best things, especially for your insect-eating birds. It gives them the energy and the proteins they need through the winter months. He also has a special seed blend for the winter for those seed eaters. And, of course, Wild Birds Unlimited has the very best uh, in feeders. 
Kyle has also put together a bunch of starter sets, so to speak. Everything a person would need to get into birding would make a perfect Christmas present. In a hurry, you can just run in the door, pick up one of those, uh, plop down your charge card, and head on your way, and you'll have a really, really appreciated gift. You know, Wild Birds Unlimited has lots of other fun gift ideas, too, and they've got great optics and great prices. They've got wonderful books. It's just always a fun store to visit. Open seven days a week to serve you right out there at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner, right in that uh, shopping center there. They're on the side that faces Northwest Military, so pretty easy to find. Go see my friends at Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a gorgeous Sunday South Texas morning. We're going to talk to Christy and Ruth and Suzanne. And Christy's up first. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Bob. Happy holidays. And to you as well. I have a question involving transplanting. Okay. So the squirrels were polite enough to dig little acorns and stuff into the yard, which started to grow in the little trees that I was able to grab quickly, pot them. And I was wondering, when is the best time to put them in their permanent home? Uh, three or four years ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I just planted them, I guess, last year. Yeah. They're, they're little ones. Awesome. One of them got real good. He's over a foot already. but Wow. Well, uh, the answer is, as soon as they're big enough that you're not in danger of stepping on them or mowing over them. Oh, they're, okay. They're easier to maintain in the ground than they are in pots, and there's absolutely no reason to wait to plant. Now, obviously, you know what you're doing, but there are a lot of people in the world that mistake those sprouts that come up uh, around our live oaks for sprouted acorns, and those are not sprouted acorns. Those are sprouts coming off the roots of the mother tree, and they are virtually impossible to transplant and will probably never or be many, many years to make a real decent tree. But if your squirrels have actually planted the acorns and you're digging little what we would call seedling trees, boy, just plant them out wherever you know you would like to see uh, another nice big tree. Now, I always caution people when we're talking about establishing trees in the yard, don't ever wind up with a yard that only has one kind of tree in it. I've seen so much of this up in the hill country where people had nothing but live oaks in their in their yard, and then they were in an area where oak wilt moved in and killed every tree in the yard. So I'm a big believer in diversity. I hope those squirrels will plant some elm trees for you, maybe some escarpment cherries, uh, maybe some of the other good trees out there. So I, I would caution against having just a canopy of nothing but live oaks in the yard. But having said yeah. that, if you've got some nice ones started, uh, it's going to be a beautiful sunny afternoon out there, and it'll be a great day to put them in their permanent spots. Well, their permanent spot is up in Mason, and they okay. will be well diversified with mesquite <laughs> and other things. And I actually think they may, one of them just by the leaves, may ha- it, may, it may be an elm. So, okay. Yeah. As long as it's so, not a hackberry, then that'll be just fine. No. Is somebody going to be up in Mason to water them and take care of them? I go up every weekend while the house is being built. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, just, you know, put landmines out around your tree so the builder doesn't drive over it because builders are 
notoriously bad for uh, parking and driving in the uh, wrong places. So be sure that if you, you know, and in that case, I, you know, I might hold off until at least the major work is done before you plant them because I've just seen too many things destroyed by builders. And you're going to be busy watching them, being sure they don't bury the existing trees on the property and, and do a lot of other things. So with yeah, that in real mind. good about it. And they'll be gated. Um, I, I transplanted a mountain laurel last year, one that uh-huh. was growing here in the yard. She's She's got a five-foot gate down there, and she's doing wow. really well. So I'm going to do the same thing with these, but I just didn't know when the best time, because obviously it's colder up there, sure. and I didn't know if they would be impacted by frost. So I just want to make sure they get no. a good start. Yeah, no, the, the cold won't bother them at all, and considering that you're only going to be there once a week to water them, much, much better to do at this time of year because you won't need to water so often. In the middle of the summer, when you first set out a tree, you probably need to water it every day. So right. here in this case where you're not living there at this point, no, this uh, winter months, December, January, February, those would be the very best months for you to set those trees out. So you just do it whenever you Ooh. have the opportunity. They're going in on Saturday. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're sure welcome, Christy. Get out and enjoy and have a wonderful holiday season. Thank I you. will. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Next up is Ruth. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. To find a- Good morning. Can you hear me? <laughs> I hear you just fine. Okay, good. Um, beautiful morning. Uh, yes. I have quite myrtles that have some limbs that need to be cut off. Is this a good time to do that? It's fine time to do that. Once they have dropped their leaves, they have gotten as dormant as they are going to in South Texas. We don't do it earlier in the fall because then they try to sprout out and put on new growth, which then may freeze back. But once we've gotten into the kind of weather we're having now, once the leaves are off the crepe myrtles, uh, you're fine to cut them back at any point. Now, uh, I would trim you know, carefully, crepe myrtles, many people make the mistake of just lopping those stems back, those trunks back, those limbs back at a random point. And what you end up with is just a whole bird's nest of little limbs coming out. If this is one of the major upright growing limbs or trunks or whatever, uh, follow it down to where there's already another branch sort of feeding off in a direction you want it to grow rather than just cutting at a random point. That way the crepe myrtle will put its energy in developing that and you won't get that ugly little bird's nest of growth like those Houston people get constantly. We call what they do, we call it crepe murder because they just butcher them so badly. But if you need to go through and selectively remove limbs, uh, this would be a wonderful afternoon to get it done. Okay, I appreciate that. And I had some lantana that froze. Is that okay, okay to cut that now? Yes, ma'am. Put that back yes, ma'am. I would oh, cut it back. Yeah, cut it back to maybe two, three inches in height. That's one you don't want to cut quite to the ground. And then I always put a bucket of compost or mulch over the top of it, just sort of like a winter blanket, uh, to keep that crown, to keep the upper roots from uh, freezing too hard. You know, we just never know what the weather's going to do here. I've lived in San Antonio when it got to five degrees, and I've lived here winters that it barely <laughs> froze. So uh, better safe than having to rush out at the last minute and try to protect things so by all means cut your lantana back and uh but i i would follow it up with two or three inches of mulch okay well that's what i've got thank you so much 
got your day cut out for you. Get out and enjoy it. I sure do. Okay, I sure will. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right, uh, Suzanne's next. Good morning, Suzanne. Hey, Bob. How are you doing? It's just a beautiful morning, and uh, I've already been out in the greenhouse dressing poinsettias to deliver this afternoon and just enjoying the beauty of the day. So uh, it is going to be a great Sunday. Hope you're going to do the do the same as far as getting out and enjoying. Yeah, the Christmas poinsettias brings back a really uh, nice memory for me. My very first job in Indiana was a Christmas rush, and uh-huh. I worked at a local florist making the foil. Yes. Little yes. things that went around the pots. That was way uh-huh. back then. They weren't pre-made. And my my mother used to say when I came home from work about seven eight o'clock at night, she said, "I love it the way that you come in and you smell like a greenhouse. I smell like pine." <laughs> Well, I was I was about five years old when I started working in my grandfather's florist shop and greenhouse, and uh, I quickly became, uh, you know, the Christmas deliveries got so busy that our full-time delivery man couldn't handle all of them, so my uncle would follow up with deliveries, and I was what he called his hopper. He would drive, and we'd get up to the home or wherever the poinsettia was going, and I was the one that took it up to the door and rang the bell and handed it to the people while he looked up the next, next delivery, so... Uh, I uh, I guess you could say I I've been putting smiles on people's faces with poinsettias for a lot of years, and it's uh, yeah. I don't know it's just a happy season, and uh, there's such a uh, you know just such a wonderful thing to send people. Somebody uh, had a fellow at Starbucks last night asked me, he said, well, what 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 is this thing with poinsettias? And I said, well, it's just, it's the traditional fire, fire, flower of the Christmas season, and uh, just like Easter lilies are for Easter, and it's just, I don't know, it just reminds people of the holidays. I'll never forget uh, uh, one year we actually had some purple poinsettias. I don't know why they stopped growing them, but my friend Ron Aaron, who uh, was one of the guys that got me on KTSA many years ago ron came in and looked at him and he said oh man he said i just can't do i can't do poinsettias but because they're too christmas but these are hanukkah poinsettias i'll take some of these <laughs> so there's poinsettia out there for just about everybody yes sir there is and i'm calling you in a little bit uh, this is sad news for me i got my onions planted when i could purchase them which uh-huh. meant they'd been in the ground for about for about eight days before we got the 23-degree overnight low. Right, right. I looked at them yesterday. I've been watering them. Well, we also got almost two inches of rain. I mean, hello. Uh-huh. That was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but I can't tell if they're dead or alive. They don't look dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, my... my I'm, is there some way I can tell they're dead? I noticed that Greengate had more plants, yeah. and if I want the plants, I better buy them right away, or they're going to be gone. Well, there are going to be lots of onions will be available between now and February. The best way to tell if they're alive is give them about two weeks, because they will start putting on new growth. Twenty-three degrees is not enough to do is not enough to kill onions now. You know, you'll occasionally get a little frost on top of them, but, uh, you know, they'll go down to 10 degrees without really being damaged. Now, staying too constantly wet, that's another story. And, of course, it's not the water that does the damage. It's lack of oxygen in the soil. And if we get a really, really, really rainy winter, um, then I have seen onions rot in the ground. But one good rain doesn't really constitute... uh, 
you know, just a, an absolute saturation of the soil. So I'm going to give you pretty good odds that uh, your onions are going to be just fine. And don't worry about people running out of onion plants. I talked to the folks at Dixondale where most of the growers get their onions, and uh, they were a little late in getting them out because of weather issues they have, but uh, they are so well stocked, I don't see a problem in uh, getting more onion plants for at least the next couple of months. Well, i got a question to ask you about the onions from that place. Okay. Um, Greengate was out of 1015s for like weeks on end. I bought Texas Select, which is another sweet yellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Texas Legend. Do you have any experience with that onion? It's allegedly, it's the offspring of 1015. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I have not grown that one yet. Uh, Dixondale, anything they put out, they will have grown it for several years. My big issue with onions is sometimes if you get the wrong variety, you know, there's short-day onions and long-day onions, and some of them just, you know, and I've seen some varieties that just all of a sudden virtually every onion in the bunch decided to bolt and flower, and that just pretty much destroys your crop right there. I would presume that Dixondale has grown these for a couple of years and know that that's not going to be the case, but... um uh, I, I don't have any experience with that one yet. Maybe okay. I will look for it and put some in my garden this year so I can speak speak with a little more authority. Well, I read some online comments from uh, of people that have bought the onions and planted them within the last five years in uh-huh. Louisiana and Texas. Uh-huh. And they, they're commenting that the onions are much larger than 1015s. Wow, that's and hard to imagine because 10, yeah, 1015s can get enormous. Right, so. Allegedly, they're uh, seven to eight days, no, wait, ten days earlier to bulb than 10, 15, and that would be good for me. So okay. well, I'll let you, you know, know how, how it goes. I will look forward to hearing it. The the big, my only real knock on 1015s and most sweet onions is because of the high sugar content, they do not keep as well. So I always plant some whites and purples because I can store them in the uh, uh, room where I keep where I keep them. I, I put them in plastic trays that uh, have lots and lots of ventilation. And I can keep the whites and the purples for eight or nine months and still have good onions. But the yellows, you know, 45 days or so, so they're going to start losing quality because of all that sugar. So I always plant some things besides the 1015s, but they're always the most popular, and they're the ones that people are begging me for and the ones that <laughs> I keep Dr. Kirby happy <laughs> almost every day that I see him, which is usually one day a week unless I run by the clinic. His first comment is, did you bring me any onions? And so they're they're a very good onion. So I'll look forward to hearing about this one. If it's even sweeter, uh, that'll be a great thing. But I, I again will question the keeping quality. So keep an eye on that. Well, I, yeah, I would imagine that based on the comments that you know it, this is going to be like ten fifteen. It's not going to mm-hmm. store well. But yep. we eat them so fast that it's simply not an issue. <laughs> Well, that's a good thing, and if you're like me, I enjoy harvesting and eating a number of them as green onions before they even start yeah. making the big bulbs. So uh, there are just lots of good things to do with onions, and from a, from a health standpoint, they're one of the best 
items that you can consume for quite a number of reasons uh, on beyond their nutritional qualities are good for your immune system and good for uh, just a lot of different things so uh, hope everybody's planting lots of onions I, I I need to get even more of them in the ground and maybe my days off next week will give me time to do that uh, my, my nursery told me that they're not going to have any more broccoli or cauliflower plants until spring. I took a major hit with that 23 degrees because I didn't cover my plants. Mm-hmm. And they were, the plants have not been in the ground for very long, so they, I wouldn't call them established. Yeah. I'm looking well, forward to spring and thinking about uh, growing broccoli and cauliflower transplants by seed inside and then putting them out. I remember for tomatoes, it's like six, at least six weeks. I would say, yeah, know. probably probably four weeks on broccoli and cauliflower. But uh, if you get out and get to uh, San Antonio, I can't speak for other nurseries, but I know probably the one you're speaking of. They grow most of their own, and uh, I doubt if you'll find many more of them in six packs this fall. But uh, there are several good organic. Uh, vegetable producers. Gabriel Valley is one that we do a lot of business with, and uh, I think you'll find that Phoenix will probably have ongoing supplies of broccoli as we will here at Shades of Green. So uh, don't give up on still getting some in this fall. Oh, good. Thanks so much for the for the tip because I was I, about I would... to fall on my sword. Yeah, no, I, uh, I I would call and, you know, and I imagine Phoenix will do the same thing we do. They'll set things aside for you if they know you're coming because, you know, we can get in 100 broccoli plants and some guy with a huge garden comes in and buys 95 of them out of the parking lot when they've just come off the truck. So we do run out. But uh, my suppliers tell me they will continue to have them uh, pretty much all through the winter months. So don't don't write broccoli off as a lost cause. I will not. Thank you. You have made my day. Have a Merry Christmas. (laughs) And a Merry Christmas to you, Suzanne. Thanks so much for the call this morning. Bye. All right, let's get a break in here, and I get to talk about the Cedar Eater of Texas, talk about a wonderful thing to do for your land if you have property, especially up in the hill country. Hey, give it a big Christmas present. Call the Cedar Eater and get them to uh, come in and take care of that second-growth cedar on your land. It'll be the best thing you've ever done for your land. Your soil will just do so much better. Your native grasses will get a chance to grow. Uh, your native plants, your mountain laurels, your evergreen sumac, all those other fun things will enjoy the sunlight they're getting. This water, that when we do get the rains, it'll make it through down into the soil instead of getting up in the leaves of those cedars. And you've really eliminated a big fire hazard when you get rid of the second growth cedar. I can go on and on and on about all the reasons to get rid of cedar. And let me tell you, the cedar eater is the way to do it because they're so environmentally friendly. They cut it off at ground level with a big machine that then grinds it into a mulch all in one operation. No bulldozing, no burning, no big soil disruption, and cedar-free land. Give them a call and learn more. They have other services too. Learn all about them at 210-745-2743. That's 210-745-2743 for the Cedar Eater of Texas. All right. Actually, I have a couple of open lines. I know the lines have been very busy. They were all busy <laughs> when Don got in this morning. So uh, uh, if you've been getting a busy signal, you might want to call right now. You'll probably get through. Uh, you know the number, 210-599-5555. Alan and uh, Jerry are the two folks we will start with, and Alan is up first. Good morning, Alan. Hello, Bob. Uh, Hi there. The- the the cold weather's kind of snuck up on me again as usual, and I haven't got any uh, <laughs> any rye or or oats or anything planted for uh, winter grazing for my cattle. Okay. 
Uh-huh. I was wondering, do you know of any uh, cover crops that we can we can broadcast now on Bermuda or KR Blue Stem Fields and to try to get some January or February grazing? You know, I was talking with Fred Morales about this uh, because Fred's got this service where he comes and puts out the fertilizer with the cover crop seed all blended in with it already. And um, you can still plant some oats. You can plant some rye. And uh, unless we get just a really hard freeze, they will do fine. If you want to build your soil, uh, you know, legumes are the best cover crops to plant, such as vetch. And some people will plant Austrian winter peas. Now, uh, the peas especially, you're best if you can run over it with a disc arrow or something like that and get them actually under the soil. Uh, your vetch and, of course, your uh, rye and oats uh, can be planted very shallowly. In fact, your vetch can just be uh, left on the surface. But those are all things uh, that you can certainly plant. Now, the issue, well, two issues. Number one, of course, is moisture. And unless you've got a good K-line irrigation system or something, <laughs> this is sort of the ideal time. I'm glad you didn't work to get them in too early because they would have just sat there because we've been so dry for so long. We've got some moisture in the soil now, and hopefully we will get more. So this would actually be an excellent time to plant your cover crops. The the drawback, the other drawback, uh, especially if you're in the hill country, is that uh, we got a, we had a very poor mast crop in most areas this year. Not many acorns, not many pecans, and our horrible overpopulation of deer, both whitetail and axis, uh, at least around my part of the hill country, they're just eating everything that comes up. And so you may, you know, um, you, you may find that they keep it browsed down to the point that your cattle are not getting their share. And if you're located down in South Texas or wherever, uh, may not be as much of an issue. And if you're located in the hill country, I would urge you to uh, allow some folks that like to harvest venison to harvest lots of venison this year, because uh, we're just we're we're so overpopulated on deer. Unfortunately, I think there may be a die-off from starvation and. Uh, um, I have no objection to hunting. I kind of got tired of it a few years ago because there wasn't much sport to it, and I always did all my own processing. But uh, uh, I still firmly believe that, you know, one quick bullet is a whole lot better than hanging up in a fence dying because you didn't have enough to eat. So I hope everybody up in the hill country will as much as possible safely harvest as uh, especially as many does as you can so anyway i'll get off that soapbox but get back to the question yes it's a great time to plant cover crops but in the hill country it's going to be tough to keep uh, the the deer from getting to them before your cattle do i guess it'd be good good if you're in the deer hunting business then to get some of that vets or rye in huh well, it would be an excellent thing to do, and uh, it, and it's funny again. I respect Fred Morales so much because he he works hill country and South Texas as far as putting out fertilizer and planting for people. And he was talking about how how many people have suddenly discovered cover crops that uh, never really realized the benefit before. And uh, and you know, as as long as we can get the moisture to sustain them, and in Texas, you just never know. But uh, cover cropping is just one of the best land management practices that you can engage in and and it won't hurt if uh you know if if we get a hard freeze in two or three weeks you know after that vetch or rye or or something comes up i was afraid that the freezing weather might stunt it well again rather uh uh-huh 
Yeah, and and I've seen years when it does. But mm-hmm. what what at least the way things are going for now is we're getting a lot of moderately cold weather. I've been in the 30s every morning for a couple of weeks now, and that's the best thing in the world for hardening your cover crops off. The time we really lose things is when we have 80-degree days, and then suddenly we go to 19 degrees, and those right. plants haven't prepared for it. So um, agriculture's <laughs> I'd love to describe it as uh, gambling, but with worse odds. Um, you know, sometimes Mother Nature's just going to turn against us. But uh, if you if you don't understand that, you shouldn't be in the farming and ranching business. So there are no guarantees out there. But we have had warmer winters for several years now. It's been a while since we had one of those bitterly cold winters. And this year, I, from uh, you know the standpoint of uh, a, a lot of different things, I'm really happy to see this kind of weather because we have good chilly nights without having hard freezes. And this is the kind of weather that prepares both our crops in the fields and our landscapes for uh, for colder weather. So um again seeds pretty cheap and most years uh you know the dice are going to be with you but uh uh no guarantees sure sure well, i appreciate it bob I'll, I'll get some in this week then some is that what you the first thing you'd recommend is rye and vetch or do you have did you get broadcast anyway um, Ryan Vetch are going to be probably the two easiest. The difference, of mm-hmm. course, in them and what they do for your land, uh, rye is just, you know, it's a cereal grain, so to speak, and it produces uh, what we would call green manure. It produces lots of vegetation and grows a moderately thick root system, which is good for your soil. Vetch, on the other hand, does those things, but in addition, being a legume, uh, it has little nodules on its roots that are filled with a bacteria which can actually extract nitrogen gas from the air and turn it into nitrogen fertilizer. This is why our forefathers, even though they didn't know what they were doing, always rotated beans and corn because the beans uh, put the fertilizer, put the nitrogen back in the ground. And vetch is one of those things that's the same way. It's a legume. And so it's not only providing organic material, it's actually the, the bacteria associated with its roots are actually fixing nitrogen and adding a little bit of fertility to the soil as well. So uh, that's the good thing about vetch. The bad thing is that it seems to taste especially good, and it's the first thing the deer are going to go after, at least on my property. So uh, uh, that's just sort of cover crops 101. They're great things, but uh, uh, we, as we always have in the farming and ranching business, we do have our challenges. Sure, great. Well, I appreciate your time. I'll, I'll get some in this week then. Well, good luck with it, and I appreciate your call this morning, Alan. Have a great day. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right, Jerry's up next. Good morning, Jerry. Hey, good morning, Bob. Um, morning, sir. Of, yeah, indeed. It's a little chilly out there, but um wanted to ask you about, uh, you'd mentioned now, I think it was the centrifugal pumps that kind of. Uh, yeah. Centripical. Yeah. I might centrifugal pumps i can't spell um, it but i can't pronounce it <laughs> i might be able to spell it but yeah um so if i have a kind of a medium size uh rainwater collection mm-hmm. a series of tanks you know i have the 55 gallon or whatever they are tanks right. um, in series. 
and about a uh, maybe a forty by sixty uh, garden space. About what size centripetal pump would I be looking for? Well, you're of course going to look at uh, gallons per minute of output, and um, it, it comes down to how you irrigate and if you're going to try to irrigate the entire garden at one time obviously you're going to need more water which means you're going to need a bigger pump uh, than if you have it set up in zones my garden my big garden I've got two gardens now but my bigger garden I've got what 16 rows in there and I have it set up where it comes on and waters one row at a time so it takes very little pressure I have it on basically the same system as you would a lawn sprinkler and it just goes through and waters you know row one shuts off waters row two and if you're doing something like that you can use a very small pump that produces oh you know maybe 10 gallons of water per minute or something like that uh, if you're going to use uh, spray type uh, impact sprinklers or if you're going to you know water all 200 uh, 2400 square feet at the same time you're probably going to want a pump that produces in the neighborhood of 30 to 50 gallons of water uh, so like I say, it's I'd, I'd love to give you a firm answer and tell you, you know, go down to the pump store and look for this, but um, you, you you need to, you know, figure out exactly how you're going to be irrigating that garden, and then you'll know what size pump you need. And if you, you know, if you get that figured out, if you're using something like pressure compensated drip, it they, they puts out... Uh, nine-tenths of a gallon per hour per emitter and it's just a little bit of math to figure out how much water you're going to need you know at any one time and uh, um, so anyway that long answer to a short question uh, if you're using drip and if you've got it divided up where it doesn't water you know all at once a pump that's running 10-15 gallons a minute is going to be plenty uh, if you're looking at doing a bigger area you would need a proportionately larger pump and I certainly would not buy that pump you know at a box store uh, there are various companies around that specialize in irrigation that smell sell small and large pumps uh, my friends over at Water Garden Gems on I-10 over there uh, about six miles outside, outside 1604 they sell a very good pump I think they're still importing most of their pumps their stainless steel pumps that come out of uh, Germany and are top quality and have a very very long life so uh, I'd, I'd, I'd stay away from the big boxes when you're looking for your pump uh, but um, I, I hope that helps you in figuring out <laughs> a bit about what size even though I'm not able to answer your question totally that, does that help no, no. yeah that, that's helpful I've, um, now I'm, I'm up in the Austin area I think uh -huh. there is a water, water garden nursery here in the north Mm -hmm. last part of town so you, they would probably have similar lineup or would you suggest i contact the uh, water gems down there in san antonio have them you know i i don't know your austin nursery you've got some good nurseries up there and uh uh, you might just ask them where their pumps, you know, where they get their pumps and if they're dedicated irrigation pumps or and not just a pump somebody's going to put on a fountain out in their yard. And uh, you may very well be, be able to find what you need up there. If you come to Water Garden Gyms, um, I would do the same thing. I would call before you come. They they keep a little more irregular hours through the winter months because it's not their not their high season, so to speak. But you probably got a good ag store or somebody up there that uh, you know can answer those questions and help you as well. 
Um, and again, beyond that, just uh, just try to calculate approximately what your needs are. Your better pumps will come with a good warranty, and that's also one way to tell um, what uh, you know whether whether you're making a good investment or not. Okay, well, yeah, I definitely want to move to uh, a station type of um, watering with this pressure compensated drip system. I guess Rainbird yeah. is your favorite company for that because yeah. uh, I'm spending. Kind of sometimes when the garden's full, I, I you know it could take me an hour to water the whole garden. Sure. I, well, looking at it this way, um, you know, let's say you had uh, you had 500 feet of drip hose. Uh, that means that you're going to need 450 gallons of water per hour, which means you're going to need about 10 gallons of water per minute, or three quarter, or uh, you know, eight gallons of water per minute, which means you don't need a very big pump at all. Okay, great. This should save me some money then. Yeah, I was it's just a little bit of arithmetic. It doesn't even qualify as math. <laughs> but uh, uh, and and you know uh, anybody with with uh, much experience can help you figure it if uh, if if you're not real sure what the numbers you're coming up with. Okay, great. Uh, and just uh, last question, I have uh, a, a separate um, the plastic one of those white plastic uh, 40, 50 gallon tanks that's got mm-hmm. some cracks in it where I have the uh, hose bed attached. Uh, uh-huh. What would you recommend to, to seal that, or is it not really fixable? It's not really fixable. Um, again, you can talk to uh, somebody in a water garden uh, store would be the people that would have the things that you could use to fix it. But polyethylene depolymerizes unless it's specially stabilized against UV light. And when it begins to crack and break, it's going to do nothing but get worse. So it's why you always want to go with more of a rubberized tank if you possibly can. And um, I, I'm not going to be real optimistic about being able to fix it and you know the other thing is that you think you've got it fixed uh, we finally get a good rain and it fills up and then it cracks and you lose all your rainwater overnight when you didn't know what was happening so um if it were me i'd probably be looking at a new tank okay all right bob really appreciate all the help well, it's always a pleasure visiting with people who in, who enjoy these things that we do. So uh, you enjoy your weekend, and uh, you give me a call anytime I have, Jerry. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. I need to get a, one more break in here before the hour is over, so let me quickly talk about Fred Morales and Morales Feed. I guess I was already talking about Fred because, uh, you know, he's just such such a pro when it comes to agricultural business. He's got the best in irrigation with the K-Line irrigation system. As I was just saying, he has a service where he will not only come bring you the organic fertilizer, and by the way, he's got it priced under chemical fertilizers. He'll bring it to you in a hopper ready for you to spread, or he'll spread it for you. If you'd like, either way, he can blend in those seed, those cover crops, blend it right in with the fertilizer so it all goes out at one time. Fred gives you lots and lots of services, uh, store up in Lake Heath, store down in Divine, uh, but he, he works within about a 100-mile radius of both stores. So if you have an aid, you just get hold of Fred, and he will help you out, let you know what he can and can't do. You're dealing with a quality person offering quality services and quality products. Morales Feed. All right, well, I've got about a minute and a half till news, so let's get started with Mark. And Mark, we'll put you back on hold. We'll continue after the news break. Good morning. Hi, Bob. Hi there. 
Well, we're tired of these freezing nights. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Fredericksburg, you got to oh, expect that. Uh, it is December. Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, well, one quick thing first. We um, we were under a big rainwater system in our previous home and, and doing our whole garden with irrigation with drip irrigation. Uh-huh. One thing we did is, um, well, we started using the Netafin dripper, drip line, the pressure compensating. Uh-huh. And right. that... Uh, okay, I haven't had to buy any in a long time, but they have varying drip rates, like a half, point nine, and something else. Mm-hmm. And and when we wanted to water more area at once, we basically got the lower drip rate so we could run more hose at once. Sure. sure. So you could you could cover more area. The 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 problem with that though is if you have a sandy soil, the slower drip doesn't spread as fast. You know, it goes You're more exactly anyhow. right. And the other thing that I I didn't get into, but I'm sure you know about, there are there are what they call on-demand pumps that uh, you know where you're using it running off a hose or something like that. That uh, the pump sits there and it senses the drop in water pressure if you turn a hydrant on, and then it comes on and gives you the pressure. Mark, let me right. put you get Don to put sure. you back on okay. hold, and we'll continue this uh, right after the news here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas gardening with Bob. Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Back to gardening on an absolutely gorgeous Sunday morning out there. You know, you look at the calendar, it says December. It says December 6th, and you've got to expect that the weather's going to be a little bit chilly. So don't be too surprised when you have to put on a light jacket when you go out. Going to warm up nicely, though. Be up in the 60s, maybe even the low 70s this afternoon. And, uh... Oh, gosh, just a perfect day for getting out and working in the yard or just doing a lot of different things. So uh, get out and be thankful. It's just our beautiful South Texas weather. Let's see. Looks like we're going to talk with Mark a little bit more, and then we're going to talk with Glenn and Margaret. And back to Mark. Good morning again. Good morning. Morning again. Yeah. We, um, this, this drip hose, we've had it running for 15 years now and haven't yeah. had any problem with that. And one of the things that Betafem had is it had this little, like a floating diaphragm in there that I think helps keep the calcium that, mm-hmm. from clogging it. Yeah, but, uh, they but, yeah. they do, and the Rainbird, which is a little bit more widely available, they do the same thing. Uh-huh. And how they oh, can make such good products at, you know, such a reasonable price, and and have something that does deal with the calcium that you and I and at least all the hill country in San Antonio <laughs> have to. It's uh. I don't know. It's, it's you, and you can't very well put a water softener in front of it. You can if you're, yeah. <laughs> you know, going to soften with potassium instead of sodium. But uh, it might right. get to be a little more expensive proposition. Right, right. Yeah, we and we we're using a disc, a one inch disc filter on ours, and that seems to work pretty good uh-huh. for keeping sediment out. But anyway, um, the ne- next thing. Uh, oh, I put out about two hundred pounds of cornmeal, spread it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I put some around a big tree. I went back a, an hour later. And the, the leaves were all disturbed. The turkeys picked up every single visible piece of corn around that tree. You, you couldn't even tell there was any cornmeal there. Yeah. Yeah. The deer get most of it. The cattle get a little bit of it. And those turkeys and, and other birds. But, uh, you know, we had a similar experience one time. We had, I think it was some rye seed left over. And I remember going with my business partner to throw it out along one of the roads on her ranch. And uh, she was sitting in the back throwing the seed out. And we got to the end of the row and came, turned around to come back down. And here comes a whole line of turkeys just walking along behind you, eating up everything you're putting out. But, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. welcome to one of the, one of the, 
the happier signs of nature, looking out and seeing the blasted hogs that it seems like we're seeing so many of, uh, oh, uh, that's not quite as good. All right, we're, we're fighting those at our creek now, yeah. One, one made him a, a, a bathtub in our creek, dug yeah. it out. And, oh, yeah. Anyway, okay, question. Um, I believe, well, we've, we've grown the, the sugar sprint, sugar snap peas for years. Uh-huh. They're, a, they're a small bush. They produce great, except when it freezes. So the plants are mm-hmm. fine, but if it freezes, the blooms and the, and the pods all freeze. And so now, all, all get, sugar snaps do that. Okay. Yeah, it's so not just get, those varieties. There, there's, not a, okay. there's not an edible pod pea that doesn't do that, unfortunately. Uh, okay, because the last few years we, we got hit at the wrong time and we haven't gotten much. So, well, so the vines, the, the vine is fine if it freezes, right? It's just you would lose some um, harvest? Um, right. Well, and, and it all comes down to timing. I personally, in Bernie, I, you know, used to always plant mine right around Christmas time because then just about the time the bush or vine got up to a productive size is when we would right. normally be beyond freezing weather. Now, right. I've let people talk me into planting a fall crop as well, which uh, most years I was just too busy in September this year. But uh, if you plant them early and if the weather stays warm uh, and we don't get freezes until, you know, relatively late in the fall, then many times you can get a, you can get a crop in in the fall as well. But uh, if you're very late in getting them planted, uh, chances are you're not really going to harvest much until it starts warming up in the spring because, you know, down, down to 20, probably 18 degrees, the cold is not going to hurt the plants. But anything below freezing is going to destroy the flowers and develop yeah. the peas. So, uh, um, again, it's just all in timing. But the, the, the vining are like an indeterminate. Don't they produce continuously? Yeah, Normally? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, if, so if you if you lose some blooms at, at some point, they'll still keep producing after that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, that was my thought. So, if, if but if the vines get up to five feet and we're getting below twenty, you're saying they could still be damaged. They could still be damaged, and you know, like virtually every winter hardy vegetable. When you plant them, the first two weeks, it, it takes a while to build up the bricks. It takes a while to build up the sugar and, you know, be right. resistant to any freeze. And uh, even things, I mean, look at Brussels sprouts. They'll go down to 10 <coughs> degrees without any damage. But the first week or 10 days after they sprout, even frost can be very damaging yeah. to them. So right. that's, that's right. the gamble with planting too late in the fall. Uh, is that your plants don't have time to harden off before it gets real cold, and uh, just means getting out there with row cover and protecting them. But it's right. <laughs> it's all part of all part of the garden game. Yeah, we we had broccoli damage even though we had it covered. So it's like mm-hmm. I'm not sure what. It's, yeah, we had 17. So we, <laughs> yeah, it, most of it's okay, but some of it got damaged. Okay, okay. Um, oh, last quick thing. I have a a new favorite tool. Um, you know the silky saws. Uh-huh. Made. They they have a little folding saw called a pocket boy. It's uh-huh. about six inches long. Uh, oh man, that thing is a wonder. I mean, it's first it's, it's six inches you can put in your front pocket, and uh-huh. you can cut like a four or five inch limb with it no problem. And it's wow. got a really sharp blade. It's like I just carry it around in my front pocket in my pants. 
That's a great thing. Well, and the other thing that a lot of people don't realize about saws is that a pruning saw is very different from a carpenter saw in the set of the teeth. A carpenter saw is made to cut on the push as you push down. A pruning saw is made to cut on the pull as you pull it towards you. So uh, sounds like this saw combines the best in Japanese steel and... uh, and the right technology. So that's good to know about. Yes, sir. I got the black one. It's like a medium tooth, and you can cut uh-huh. a half-inch limb up to a four-inch limb with it. And so that's why. Have you had cool. him? Have you had him for very long? Yeah, yeah. I've that's, had it for about good. two years. Because there's a Rodriguez Rodriguez Butcher Supply here in San Antonio. They taught me a lot about steel. And uh, they were telling me that if you're going to be cutting anything really hard, you want German steel. If you're going to be, you know, making thin cuts, uh, and they're, of course, in the meat business, talking about sushi and things like that, he said uh, get Japanese steel because you can put a the best edge in the world on it. Uh. He said they, they will require sharpening more often than something with German or Swiss steel will. So I've always kept that yeah. in mind when I've, I've chosen my pruning tools as well. No, I don't think you can sharpen, but you can get it. You can re- get replacement blades. The, the other mm-hmm. thing is, I tend not to cut really dry hardwood with it because, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's going to tear up the blade. <laughs> I'm glad you have that option. Some of us don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Bob. All right. You're welcome, Mark. It's always good to talk to you guys. Have a happy holiday season, and we'll talk again. Uh, Glenn is up next. Uh, good morning, Glenn. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, two- Two quick questions. We have a plum tree that uh, we need to uh, thin out really bad. Uh, uh-huh. when, when's the best time to do that? Any time after the leaves are off the tree in the fall. I suspect your plum, if it hasn't lost all its leaves by now, it's about to. I try, I typically do mine sometime in January or very early February, but that's just uh, the time my business slows down and I have time to do it. And I think you'd probably be fine to do it this afternoon because the weather has been cold enough that uh, I don't think they're going to put on, you know, any more likely to sprout out again. So this afternoon I think it'd be fine for peaches and plums, the two things that we do thin heavily every year. How now, when you say uh, thin them out, uh, how drastic should you do a plum tree? Well, with um, with a a plum, of course, or a peach, what you're doing is you're not you're going through and and selectively taking out limbs. You're not making an overall cutting back of the planter that takes away all of your budwood. You're going up and down the limb and taking out you know every other or two out of three you know little shoots plums up to 60 percent every year peaches i figure approximately 40 percent every year but it, it's hard to over prune a plum and you'll keep your trees productive for more years you'll have healthier trees and you'll have much much better plum crop uh, if you thin them fairly heavily so up to 60 percent on the budwood okay we've never trimmed never thinned this one out at all and we've never had a single plum uh, yeah. you, you had recommended a gentleman to come out and take a look at a tree or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember what that ar- I, I think he's an arborist. Uh, you talked, talked about a gentleman. Yeah, there's, uh, the best arborist I know is a fellow named David Vaughn. 
Um, and he worked for years for Edder Tree Care, which is uh, the arborist company that I recommend to do the work. David is strictly a consulting arborist. He just got to a certain age and said, I don't have to work this hard. So he stopped climbing trees and became a consulting arborist. And uh, uh, you can go to uh, David Vaughn Arborist. Uh, you can Google that and you can find him. If not, call me back and I'll I'll give you a sell. He's, he's a good guy. And like I say, he's not the fella. Uh, he's there to advise you. And so he's not going to sell you something you don't need excellent very good i thank you for your time sir it's always a pleasure glenn it's good to talk to you thank you sir <laughs> goodbye Bye-bye. all right uh, i guess we're gonna get a quick break in here margaret's up next but right now i get to talk about medina agriculture and of course that's always such a pleasure because i've known the frankie family for years not as long as they've been in business they've been in business for over 50 years now right over there in hondo but golly i guess uh Stuart and i started working together on projects i don't know how many years ago and just have nothing but respect for the family and the company their products are natural some of them are certified organic that's a long and expensive process so not everything there's going to be certified organic but it's all going to be natural things and medina is creating problems that work with the soil rather than work against it they support the microbial life in the soil rather than killing so much of it like your synthetic fertilizers do and of course medina not only makes great products like their dry growing grain and their liquid has to grow products but they also have uh, things that soften the soil over time like their medina plus and their medina soil activator they well they make a lot of other products too that we don't usually talk about like septic tank activators and products that they make for use in big agriculture but uh, they package the very best too when it comes to orange oil and molasses and liquid seaweed you just know that if it says Medina Ag on the box or bottle or bag you know there's quality inside look for fine products from Medina all right, back to gardening, and uh, I guess we're going to talk to Margaret and Mary. Still have a couple of lines open. If you want to grab one of them, you know the number, 210-599-5555. I say good morning, Margaret. Morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my good call. Morning. Thanks for calling. Um, okay, like everybody else, I had uh, freeze damage to my Swiss shard. Okay. Um, I was under the impression that I didn't have to protect it. It was about one or two years old going banged busters had these big beautiful leaves um was i'm surprised you i'm surprised you had much damage i'm in the medina lake area so i think we got 21 23 yeah it's it's just temporary i'm i'm feel pretty sure it'll come back out of it i guess my chart must be a little bit more protected because i had about Uh 23 in bernie and i I had a couple little Uh dark spots on the leaves but but nothing major uh uh, yours may have been a little drier. It may be a little bit more exposed, but uh, exposed. Uh, yes. Yeah. That's that's probably it. Yeah. All my big luscious leaves, they've fallen over. They're wilty brown. But you you think the the main plant is still intact? It'll keep I producing. I think the main plant's still intact, and it should come okay. should come back out, and the new growth should be much hardier. Yes. Okay, because I do have some smaller leaves on some of the other plants that are still, you know very much alive yeah but they're the little bitty ones i can't really harvest yet (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah it's you always hate to see something that tastes so good go by which which variety do you have in chard um it's the the bright red stems and then i just planted some smaller uh rainbow one or yeah whatever colors 
yeah, bright bright lights is the one that bright I light. have. That's a multiple yeah. colors, and there's yeah. an especially hardy one if you're just looking for a good green charred. See if you can find one called Lucillus, L-U-C-I-L-L-U-S. That's one mm-hmm. that is probably the most cold hardy of all the chards that I know. But uh, okay. the yeah, your red chard and and your your bright lights or rainbow chard should have been hardy, but it may have been. And, and you know, that, that first really hard freeze uh, followed some pretty warm weather. Now that we are having, yeah. and I suspect you're like me, you're probably having uh, low to mid-30s every morning for the past week or so. Yes, yes. I think that yes. the new growth that comes out may not come out as quickly, but it should be it should be okay. completely cold hardy uh, unless we get down below 15. Okay. Well, I didn't know if I should pull these up and... Go start no. over. Okay. No, no. plant, yeah, plant I, I some more to... if you have room, but uh, don't discard these. They've already got a good root okay. system, and they will regrow much more quickly. Okay. I had to resort to going to HEB and buying some shard leaves. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, I know that hurts. Okay, <laughs> um, next question. Um, you were talking about birds earlier. You probably covered this already. Mm-hmm. Now, normally I, I put the suet cakes out for yeah. some birds in addition to uh, feeding the seed, but I normally do the no-melt suet cake uh-huh. but i i thought well it's cold now why pay what 30 more cents woohoo um yeah. and and buy the ones in that grease type mm-hmm. uh, structure foundation right. and you were saying that that stuff is better for them this time of year oh it's excellent for them uh suet is basically lard is basically just fat and uh okay. you know Back in the days that I did deer hunt, because I always did all my own processing, you just take you just take big, big globs of it and put it in a feeder, uh-huh. and birds would just go wild over it. Today, what oh. your 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 companies do is they take the they take it and they melt it, and they may blend uh-huh. in anything from mealworms to crickets to different kinds oh. of seed and. Uh, I've even seen some with raisins in it. So if you go into a, you're not probably not going to find it on the HEB shelves. Uh, in, in Bernie, um, I would shop at Little Nature Store in San Antonio mm-hmm. and shop at Wild Birds Unlimited. And you mm-hmm. may see six or eight or ten different suet cakes uh, there. And uh, the birds like them all. But, uh, mm-hmm. and they're also much, much more nutritious than, uh, you know, it was my mom years ago, and uh, I, you know, grew up very middle class, and we conserved everything. And she would mm-hmm. save oh, yeah. the uh, the net sacks that the grapefruit came in, and that is what she would then. And back in those days, the butchers just would give you uh, as much suet as you wanted to take off their hand, and she would oh. take her grapefruit sack and uh, stuff the suet in there and hang it out in the tree. And we had the happiest birds in the neighborhood. Oh, wow. So uh, okay. uh, things things have changed, and I guess in some ways for the better because there's definitely more nutrition in some of these suet cakes that have more different things blended into them. And uh, mm-hmm. the nice thing about it is the feeders are very, very inexpensive. The bad thing mm-hmm. about it is you're going to have to find a way to put it out that the raccoons and possums can't get to it because they also... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they they don't go after your bird seed, but they will sure go after your suet. So you you've got to <laughs> offer it in a way that those uh, critters can't get to it. But yeah, your birds are okay. lucky for it. So the no melt uh, feet, uh, suet cakes they do something to get that binding agent that uh, like fat lard. 
I I suspect they probably put some paraffin or something in it. I don't know for a fact, oh, uh, but okay. I would I would look at. Uh, hopefully, they have the ingredients on there. If you're unsure, the fellow who owns Wild Birds Unlimited here in San Antonio is named uh, yeah. Kyle Odom. Uh, mm-hmm. Call Kyle, the lady who owns uh, Wild Birds Unlimited, not Wild Birds Unlimited, but Little Nature Store and Bernie is uh, Patty Martin. And uh, you can call okay. Patty. And uh, they're both wonderful people that love to talk about products and okay. talk about birding. And uh, uh, I'd, I'd call and ask them. That's a great question that I haven't thought to ask yet. Okay, great. All right. Well, thanks so much for your help. I'll wait for my Swiss arm to start putting out again. <laughs> And keep doing that rain dance because, uh, oh. you know, it was sure nice. Uh, I got about an inch and a half. I suspect Medina Lake mm-hmm. you probably got that much or just a little bit yeah. more. But we're we're yeah. already ready for the next one. So uh, we sure in the are. <laughs> and get out and enjoy this beautiful day we've got today, Margaret. All right. Thanks. Enjoy your Thank day. Thank you. Right. Yeah, you do. Bye. Okay. Let's talk to Mary. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Bob. Good, good morning, morning, Bob. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you this morning? <laughs> Good. Doug and I have a couple of questions for you. Okay. Um, now, I'm, now I know which one. Who am I talking to? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still Uh-oh. wearing that wonderful mask you made for me. It's still my favorite. Gets washed oh about once a week. So uh, I think of you every time I, every time I put it on. <laughs> well, as long as it's working, let me know if you need more, and I'll make you some I, more. I will certainly do it, and I appreciate okay. it. So what's going on in your world? Okay, two questions. One is about peach trees. I think I just uh-huh. heard you talk to a gentleman earlier, somebody earlier, about this is a perfect time to trim them. Yes. Yeah. Um, we, we can, well, you know, and, and trimming can cover a wide range of things. We do two things with peach trees. The first year, maybe the first two years, we actually prune them to, you know, set the overall shape of the tree. We want that kind of shaped like a martini glass. We want the open, centered tree, and we do that cutting on fairly major limbs. Um, And as the trees mature, then we go to thinning. So um, we basically don't touch those big limbs, but we go up and down those limbs and thin out what we might call the budwood, taking out like 50% of the wood. So when we talk about trimming a tree, (laughs) you'll have to define for me whether we want to talk about pruning or thinning, and then I give you the answer that, uh, that you're looking for. Okay, so ours would be thinning because ours are okay. well established and doing pretty good. Very good. And okay. again, it's just going up and down the branches. Peaches, I do forty to fifty percent. Plums, I do fifty to sixty percent thinning out, and it seems severe, but it it does two things: it keeps your trees healthy and it improves the quality of the fruit that you get. So, uh, very worthwhile doing, and uh, what a beautiful day it is to be doing it. Okay, that sounds good. And blackberries, do you have them in yet? They are usually a January item. Uh, I I get them as soon as they're available. Uh, And and no, we don't have them in yet. But uh, 
Um, I'll make it a point to talk to the growers and see how quickly they're going to have them for us this year. It's just the nursery business, like everything out there, is just weird this year. It's uh, uh, the timing is off. Many of the growers had did not anticipate in any way the sudden upsurge in garden interest. And uh, some things we've been able to get without problems. Some things have been very hard to get. So I'm hoping blackberries will be one of the easy ones because. Uh, uh, they're sure they're, they're sure a great thing to grow. Right, right. Okay, so when you do get them in and we have a chance to pick some up and plant them, tell me about spacing and depth and all that good stuff. Well, blackberries make, you know, big, big plants, and they're plants that constantly renew themselves, so to speak. The canes that come up on a blackberry, we call them primate canes, the cane that comes up is, uh, the cane that comes up this spring is the one that's going to produce berries next year. The canes that came up last spring are the canes that are going to produce berries this year. So with a blackberry patch, every year as we finish harvesting the berries, we take those canes and pretty much totally remove them and uh, without touching the canes that came up that spring because again, where you're going to get your flowers, where you're going to get your berries this year is going to be on the wood that grew last year. Uh, Blackberries tend to suck very freely and they will not only produce new primocanes kind of at the base where they were coming out last year they may spring up three or four feet away from the main plant which is nice because you can then dig those up and transplant them and expand your berry patch but uh, that's that's about all we do with blackberries as far as pruning and all I just let them grow and then uh, most of our pruning is done right after we harvest the berries so I guess the timing is a little bit different the place that a lot of people including me sometimes fall down is that we don't water often enough because blackberries even in the winter would probably like water a couple of times a week and um, failure to water will reduce the sweetness as well as the quantity and quality of the berries. So um, they are something, they are a crop that needs regular water winter and summer. But uh, beyond that, there's something that you almost can't buy in the stores because you're just not shippable. But, man, they're tasty and good. I, I stand there and, and eat, picking and eating as I go until I can't eat anymore. And then the rest of those go into the bucket to share with friends or, you know, save for the next day. But uh, a person, it's hard to have too many blackberries. Yeah, well, I think that's what Doug will be doing is harvesting and eating and not bringing them in the house. <laughs> okay, but when that's, I plant that's for you guys to I work get, out. <laughs> yeah. When I plant what I get from you, do I need to space them out a certain amount? Yeah, I grow mine on cattle panels. I think they grow best with some support. And I plant, you know, my plants about four feet apart, and they basically make a solid mass of canes along the the whole panel. So three and a half to four feet apart, yeah, that's that's about how much I would space them. And about how deep? Uh, you'll plant them. Uh, most of what we get are already growing in containers. Places like Fanix will offer them bare root uh, at, at a little lower price. But in containers, you just plant them at the depth they're growing. Um, if you're planting bare root, they're one plant that you can actually plant a little bit deeper because that cane that's growing now is going to all get cut away after it produces. So this is not like a tree or something that's going to sit in the same spot for the next 50 years. So uh, right. you plant them 
you know, I'd, I'd want to have the roots at least an inch below the surface of the ground, but I, I don't pay nearly as much attention about burying the cane as I do when I'm planting trees or shrubs. Okay, perfect. Um, and feeding, anything special with that? Hi, they get the same thing everything else in my garden gets. Okay. From, uh, early in the spring, they're going to get a, a dose of a dry granular fertilizer, such as Growing Green by Medina or the uh, Premium Lawn Food by Nature's Creation. Those are probably my two favorites. I also like uh, uh, the products that Maestro Grow makes, uh, but uh, Texas Tea is the one I would use there. But they're they're just not as commonly available. And then I follow up through the growing season. Uh, I would like to feed them with a has to grow plant every couple of weeks. I probably actually get to it about every month. But uh, if I were growing the the best possible berries, I'd be trying to trying to feed them every couple of weeks. And since you got that old retired gentleman on your hand now, maybe you can uh, maybe maybe you can get it to do yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> For everybody sure. that doesn't know, we're talking about the just-retired fire chief in Bernie, who's one of the greatest guys out there, but uh, uh, we have to poke a little fun at him as well. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, I think that's it for today. Thank you, sir. Well, you guys get out and enjoy, and uh, in Thank the you. event I don't talk to you over the next two or three weeks, have a wonderful Christmas season. Thank you. You too. We'll talk to Thank you soon. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Bye. Yeah, Bernie people are just good people, and uh, there are very few people I respect more than uh, Doug Meckel and his whole family, for that matter. And uh, Ray Hacker's doing a great job as our new certified fire chief, so to speak. He was interim fire chief, but he's been uh, named our, uh, our our good fire chief for good now. So uh, anyway, just, just lots of fun visiting with good people up there. I love talking about good people like the folks at Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, too, because uh, they just provide the best in quality, the best in workmanship. I think they put on the best roof of any roofing company out there, certainly the best that I've ever known. And I just kind of smile and chuckle when I hear all these guys talking about, oh, replacing uh, damage and taking care of your roof and how uh, they'll come back and fix it and all. You know, Southwest Metal Roofing System roof, you just, you're just unlikely to have any damage. I used to say I've never seen any damage on our roof, but then somebody backed a big truck into the edge of the building and messed it up a little bit. But Mother Nature is not going to hurt a Southwest Metal Roofing System's roof. Our roof here at the nursery stood up to baseball-sized hail without damage. You know, my roof up in Bernie that I've had from them for close to 20 years now, I mean, it's been through everything from wind to hail to just everything you can name. I've never called them once with a problem. And my roof's complicated. Three chimneys and lots of hips and valleys, balcony around three sides upstairs. And Southwest Metal Roofing Systems did it quickly, did a beautiful job on it, and I've never once called them back with a problem. Saves me money on my insurance, saves me money on my utility bill every month, and it's a good-looking roof. There are lots of choices of colors. There are lots of choices of actually styles of metal. But in all cases, it's a lifetime quality roof, and they give you the best warranty in the industry to back it up. Find out what I'm talking about. Give them a call at 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. All right, back to gardening on an absolutely gorgeous Sunday morning out there. Bright sunshine, blue skies, nice temperature, uh, and especially if you're moving around, it's really quite comfortable. <laughs> Hope you're planning on a lot of gardening today. We're going to talk to Liz and JD next, and Liz is up first. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's just a gorgeous day and uh, a beautiful season, so I hope you're doing as oh, well, yes. too. 
Oh, yes, I am, except I, I have a few questions. Uh, the first one is uh, I got a poinsettia last year, and I never thought it would last because I don't have a green thumb. <laughs> but but uh, it's it's supposedly green, and, and uh, because of the weather now, I uh, I messed up, I think, and I left it outside, but it's still kind of green, but once in a while it, it gets these leaves that are wanting to die and get yellowish looking. What, well, yellowish what is needed... usually, yeah, yellowish is usually has gotten a little too dry. Oh, yeah, that's what it is? Yeah, that's what causes yellow leaves when the lower mm-hmm. leaves turn yellow. Now, you do need to protect it from really cold weather, but uh, if you're getting yellow leaves, you just need to water a little more often. Uh, okay. The the question is, uh, is it supposed to bloom red and give me the the red poinsettia or not? Because it's never shown anything like that. Well, here's the thing uh, about all poinsettias, and they don't change color. If it was red the first time you got it, it should be red each year. But poinsettias have a way of sensing how many hours of daylight and how many hours of darkness we get each day. And, of course, you know, in the middle of the summer, we've got, what, 16 hours of daylight and 8 hours of darkness, practically. And in the winter months, it turns around the other way, where we get, you know, 10 hours of daylight and 14 hours of darkness. Well, your Mm -hmm. poinsettia senses that, and if it's where it doesn't get any light at night, uh, as the days gradually get shorter, the nights gradually get longer, that's what triggers your poinsettia to turn color. Now, if we have them too near a porch light, if they're outside, or we have we have them in our home where we leave the lights on in the evening, they think it's still July and they don't they don't turn color because they think it's still summertime, so to speak. So, the secret to getting a poinsettia to rebloom is to have it in a place where it only gets the natural daylight. And poinsettias are so sensitive that even one night getting interrupted by bright light in the middle of the night can totally foul up their flowering. In fact, uh, one grower that we do business with, uh, uh, they have many, many greenhouses full of poinsettias, but they noticed that one of their front greenhouses, they had a lot of trouble getting the poinsettias to turn red, and it turned out that there was a bend in the highway right in front of that greenhouse, and just the intermittent car lights flashing in there all night long were enough to keep them from going through that normal cycle of turning red. So, um, And you hear wow. about people putting them in the closet, and if you don't have a place that gets natural light, what you have to do to get that color is every single day, about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, stick that poinsettia in a dark room or in a closet. Don't forget to bring it out the next morning about 8 or 9 o'clock. But what will make it get its color is having long nights and short days. Otherwise, it's just going to sit there and stay green year-round. Oh, so then your suggestion is because it's been cold, just bring it inside also, though, and then in the nighttime put it in a closet and then bring it out. To where it gets light. If you do that every day, 
it will uh, it will t you know turn color. Now you're a little late getting started, so you might have a Valentine's poinsettia this year. But and right. once they start showing color, we don't really uh, uh, the they're they're not really blooms or modified leaves that make the red or pink or white or multicolored uh, things we see. Um, and once those start showing color, then you know you don't have to worry about how long or short the days and nights are. But up until they first begin to show that color red in your case, uh, you've got to keep doing that uh, that day night cycle to let them know it's the time of year that they need to start uh, turning color. Oh, and just keep watering them so that they don't get dried up so much. That's correct. Water them real thoroughly whenever the soil is dry on the surface. And uh, give them a little mm -hmm. uh, liquid fertilizer, has to grow plant or something like that every couple of weeks. And uh, uh, they'll make they'll make beautiful plants for many years for you. A lot of people, mm -hmm. if they have a protected area, will plant them out in the yard. There's a, a church kind of up the hill from Dr. Kirby's clinic I need to drive by. There's usually about six or eight feet tall and just covered wow. with flowers. And I haven't driven uh, up to see if the cold nipped them this year, but a lot of years, you know, we don't really get severe cold until January, and uh, and if they're planted in the right place outside, uh, they'll uh, they'll do well. I used to have my old home up in Bernie. Uh, the old varieties that I had, they grew so tall, I had to grow up on the balcony to see the flowers because they grew like 12 or 14 feet tall. <laughs> but uh, the, the more modern varieties, uh, they stay more of a bush. So there, there are lots of different ways to uh, grow them, but that day-night cycle is what's going to determine whether they give you color or not. Mm -hmm. And to replant them because they start growing for that pot, that particular mm -hmm. pot, is it better to, to replant them? Uh, during the summer, or when should you do that? Makes no difference at all. Their tropical plants are used to growing year-round, so just use a good potting soil and do it whenever it's convenient for you. Okay. My next question is also, I have an aloe vera, and also it grew. I'm, I'm surprised, like I said, I don't have a green thumb, but uh, also <laughs> when can I replant that one? <laughs> I know. When can I replant the aloe vera? Anytime you like. Aloe veras anytime are easy. Also. Yeah, anytime you like. Now keep it, protect it from freezing as well. There are some mm -hmm. kinds of aloe which can take the cold, but aloe vera is one that doesn't really like it to get below freezing. So uh, you replant it anytime you like and protect it from the cold, and uh, you'll have a real neat plant. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, what can I plant uh, for right now that the weather is cold so it can be colorful and not die on me? Uh, annuals? I see a lot of annuals in the, in the garden places and Home Depot and all that. Well, um, I, I suggest... Yeah, I suggest buying from nurseries because they know more about what they're offering. But if you have a sunny place, mm -hmm. pansies and Johnny Jump Ups, they will flower every day of the winter if you have a good sunny spot for them. In the shade, mm -hmm. you're more likely, if you want flowers, uh, cyclamen would be what you can plant. And uh, the ornamental kales and cabbages, they have extraordinarily colorful leaves, and they will grow in the shade or in the sun. Uh, so there's and which ones are those? Those are, uh, are those annuals? Uh, yes, they are annuals. Uh, all of these things will go away when it gets hot next spring, but they should both, mm -hmm. all of them should go up until, you know, May or maybe even June. But they're not like the perennials that they'll come back, right? They, nope. they have to be replanted? 
they have to be replanted. But, you know, the perennials, not many of them bloom in the winter. They have to save some of their energy to come out again the following year. Annuals, they're only going to live for one season, so they give it everything they've got for the entire season. Oh, and the perennials, like the the ones that are uh, ground covers, I noticed mine were pretty colorful, the yellow ones. I keep forgetting mm-hmm. the name of them, but uh, they they I didn't water them because I thought I wasn't supposed to now that it was getting cold. If I would have watered them, would they have still keep blooming? Uh, depends on what kind they were. Now, yellows like lantana, which is sometimes grown as a ground cover. There's also one called Wedelia. Uh, they, it's normal for them to freeze back in the winter. They would keep blooming until they freeze. But we've had enough, a uh, lot of areas, we've had enough cold weather that it's pretty much frozen back for the winter. Yeah, because that's what it was. I have the lantanas, and they were yeah. real pretty. But then I didn't water them because I thought they they were going to die on me, and they did. But if I would have watered them, they would have probably lasted a little longer maybe. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And they're different lantanas like the purple ones and the white ones that uh, don't freeze nearly as quickly, and they're still in full bloom. But the yellow, they freeze back every winter. Uh, But but I should have still kept watering them then. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, Bob, well, thank you so very much for somebody that doesn't have a green thumb. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like yours is getting greener every day. Have a wonderful Christmas season. You too. You too. A very blessed one. Thank you. Thank you. All right, got to get a break in here. Uh, J.D.'s going to be up as soon as we come back, but I get to talk about Fannix Nursery and Garden Center. And, uh, you know, they're just one of some more of the good guys out there. Uh, They've been around for over 80 years now. Uh, What is this, third generation, Mark and Mike, and I guess their kids are probably going to get into the business too. But just a great place to shop from people who love plants and know plants. And they're about the best of the best when it comes to fruit trees. They're starting to get in a lot of their containerized fruit trees now, peaches and plums and pears and things and figs. They've uh, Plus, they've also got uh, the cold-hardy avocados. I know they've got a bunch of citrus in there. And they're getting a lot of uh, seasonal things as well, living Christmas trees of various sorts that you might want to plant outside. They are well-stocked on the bedding plants, both flowers and vegetables that can go in at this time of the year. And keep in mind that uh, Fanix also has gotten into things like the Traeger pellet grills and all the supplies you need if uh, you're getting into grilling this season. They've also are now carrying that uh, line of power equipment uh, powered by lithium-ion batteries by the Ego Company. All kinds, and let me tell you, the it's just amazing what they're doing with battery-powered equipment this day. I could go on and on about Phoenix. They're right over there on Home Green Road, where they've been for 80 years. They're open seven days a week to serve you. Uh, they've even got those pop-up greenhouses available now, too. They always run out of those, so uh, if you're looking for one of those, you might go see them. They also sell the row cover fabric and the, uh, the plastic for enclosing your garden structures. They sell that by the foot. Lots of reasons to go see your friends at Phoenix. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening here. It's, God, it's just such a beautiful day out there, and uh, hope you're going to get out and enjoy it. Uh, we start with J.D. Good morning, J.D. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I need your knowledge and help on uh, planting and uh, maintaining uh, buffalo grass. 
I have well, two kinds. Pardon? There are two kinds of buffalo grass. The one properly, uh, probably on your property up there is a more clumping type of buffalo grass. In our yards, there actually is more one that has more rhizomes, kind of like Bermuda. So uh, is this like pasture land, or is this uh, right around your home? No, this is a sloping uh, uh, plot about, uh, I'd say about 800 square feet. The slopes has got a uh, pretty good uh, slope to it, about 40, 45 degrees toward the river. Okay. It's, it's got native uh, stuff on it. Uh, I have never planted it there, and I have some seeds ordered. Uh, it's Top Gun uh, Buffalo Grass. That's the brand name of it, and combined with Blue Grama. Uh-huh. And uh, I wanted to know if it's time to plant it now, or should I wait till in the spring? Uh, especially if you've got blue grandma in there, you probably want to plant it now. Um, you will okay. need to be able to uh, uh, do, you know, water it on at least. Uh, you can have to water it every couple of days when you first put the seed out if you want to get it up and growing, and then probably water it weekly for a while to really maintain it well. Um, uh, that those are okay grasses. If you do any more, I would talk to Douglas King Seed, and I'd get their native blend because uh, they put like ten different native grasses in there, which is going to give you probably a lot better soil holding. JD, let me get Don to put you on hold. We'll talk a little bit more. I've got to go to news here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, we are back to gardening, and we're going to go straight back to the phone lines and visit a little bit more with J.D. and that potential erosion problem. <laughs> Thank you, sir, for holding on. How can okay. I continue to help? Well, I, I thought I would discuss my plan with you. Due to the severity of the slope, you can't mow it or you can't till it or you know you right. can't roll it or anything like that. My plan was to water the slope. I have a water catchment system where I have rainwater readily available, and uh-huh. I thought I would water it uh, thoroughly and then uh, soak the um, buffalo grass overnight or maybe 24 hours and then uh, mix it with sand or uh, some potting mix, throw it over the slope, and then uh, toss some uh, spades of uh topsoil on top of it and then water it again do you think that might work i think it'll work i don't think you need to worry about mixing the sand with your seed buffalo's a big enough grass seed that uh you can probably just broadcast it uh i would probably add a little garret juice or maybe a little bit of liquid seaweed to the water when you soak it and uh then you know let it dry for 30 minutes or so so it doesn't clump together when you throw it out yeah. but beyond that i i think it's i think it's a fine plan and uh i uh, you know as you've discovered those steep slopes are they can be a real challenge and uh yeah. Once uh, they're, the grasses are by far the best thing for holding the soil in place. So, uh, uh, like I say, I think you're, I think you're doing well. I, I would, you know, you might if you, if I was going to do one more thing, I might uh, uh, get a little bit of uh, just a cheap old rice seed and mix in with it. 
because your blue grama and your uh, and your buffalo are both going to be a little slow to germinate and come up in this kind of weather. Your rice seed loves the cold temperatures. It'll be up and growing in a week or ten days. So, and and you can pick that up uh, if you want an intermediate rye grass, uh, something like the uh, I think it's a hound dog. Maybe is the one that uh, Douglas King has. I, I can't remember for sure which one Dean's offering over there. But that's the one thing I might I might add to your uh, to your grass blend. Gray Greyhound. That's the name of the one that he has. But I, I think that might be good to, to sow along with the other, and you get a little bit faster growth and uh, get those roots down a little bit more quickly. They won't choke out the buffalo grass. No, sir. No, sir. You no. just, I mean, you don't want to overdo it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I um, know. Yeah. You're, you're going to use like uh, a pound of that will do like 100, 150 square feet. So uh, yeah. blend it in with the other seed. It's not going to cause any problem with choking out. And okay. it will die right. completely when the weather gets hot. And uh, let, okay. your, let your, your buffalo take over. Sounds great, Bob. Thank you so much. Have a great one. You do the same, sir. I appreciate the call. All right, Bye-bye. Frank's going to be up next, and then Moretta. Good morning, Frank. How's it going, Bob? Uh, it's going well. How about yourself? Oh, uh, we're doing okay. Uh, I was just wanting to inform you on that advice you gave everybody a few weeks back on how to save money on Christmas gifts by bringing up <laughs> Thanksgiving. Yeah, there you go. What? I think I may be spending like $12 for Christmas this year. <laughs> well, it's, uh, uh, the, uh, it's, uh, well, it's, it's, it's nice to have a little levity in a situation that really is just absolutely insane. But I'll let Jack Riccardi and Trey Ware and those guys handle that. I'm so glad that I get to talk about plants, which have, have, uh, unless you get into some of the uh, mind-altering substances, plants are not nearly so controversial. <laughs> well, we're too old to do any kind of altering of our minds. That's beyond anything. <laughs> oh, man, I don't, I don't have enough to alter, but uh, you're exactly right. <laughs> but I just wanted you to know that because I, I wasn't the one that brought it up. It was my uncle that actually saw and I was like, oh, man, no. But that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Wednesday morning up here, we were like at 24 degrees and had frost. And this big old hibiscus that I have that I cannot move by myself anymore because it's in this gigantic half whiskey barrel and it's on my south porch. Uh And what's crazy about it, the frost is what got it, I think. Uh But it got half of the it's got half of the plant and half of it is black and half of it is green of course the green was underneath the awning of the porch of course sure and we were wondering a buddy of mine i was talking to him about it and we had taken some courses at a&m and uh agronomy and horticulture and all that and we were wondering with your vast knowledge how does frost affect any type of tropical plant systemically, or for that matter, any plant, you know, does it just go to that one area or does it affect the whole entire uh, plant itself? Or how long does it it take to actually destroy it? And what what you will find is that um, 
you know, plants have a certain amount of sugar within the sap in the cells, within the protoplasm of the cells, so to speak. And that is referred to, yeah, the BRICS level, B-R-I-X. And the higher that is, the colder it has to get before the liquid will freeze. In the case of most of our tropical plants, uh, the, the protoplasm in the cell freezes at a higher temperature. And in effect, when you get frost on the leaf, it just literally... Uh, causes the cells to rupture. It just, uh, you know, in, in effect, almost an ice crystal forms in there and ruptures the cell. Uh, frost can form, and I don't fully understand the physics behind it. Uh, somebody was explaining to me one time that there's several different kinds of frost. And of course, ice doesn't, or water doesn't turn to ice until it gets to 32 degrees. But you can achieve mm-hmm. that on a cold surface even when the air temperature is a little bit higher and uh, it basically just destroys the cell that it forms on and uh, those leaves uh, I mean it has to be open to the air the frost doesn't form under coverings and so those leaves that were sheltered by the leaves that froze uh, they're going to be green and healthy and chances even the leaves that that froze you're going to lose the leaves but the stems themselves didn't freeze but you know by the nature of the structure of the cells in a plant's leaves it can't form a hard bark it can't put anything on top to protect itself or it would be able to absorb the sunlight that would be blocked out and that's contrary to what the leaf's purpose is in the plant so uh tropical plants like like your tropical so-called tropical hibiscus uh, uh they just if if we get down to anywhere to the point that frost can form, let alone get down to that 23, 24 degree stage, uh, the leaves just literally freeze and uh, discolor and fall off the plant. Right. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to apply a uh, a little bit of liquid fertilizer to the whole plant, if that's a good idea. And that's a fine idea. Then, Both. And I'm going to leave it in the sun until... I can actually have some help over here to get this thing underneath my barn or some kind of protective area because (laughs) it actually has sentimental value, Bob. I mean, an ex-girlfriend, like four girlfriends back, gave it to me, and I always think of her because, (laughs) you know, it it never goes away. It's always there. It seems like it's (laughs) Well, I'll tell you one one more thing that uh, that you could do, Frank, and that is they do make these uh, fabrics that they call row cover. They're much better than right. bed sheets. I have that. That's still on my uh, Swiss chart, and I was listening to that woman that was having issues yeah. with her Swiss chart, but uh, I didn't have enough to throw it on that thing, man. Come well, on, I, you, I worked yeah. <laughs> you, you, you need to get a you need to get a little bit more, and. Uh, uh, again, I don't think your hibiscus is badly damaged, but I, I would, uh, you know, get it undercover, get it protected when you can, because uh, sentimental value or not, it's a beautiful plant. It took years to get big, and uh, uh, you'd hate to lose it, uh, you know, in, when when the weather does get chilly, because I have an idea, come January, we may see weather a little bit colder than we've seen in a while, but anyway, thanks for uh uh, thanks for a little, a little bit of levity in the day, and uh, my thought for today is a t-shirt that uh, I, I saw someone wearing this week that said, uh, be like a proton, stay positive. So uh, there, there's your thought for this week, Frank. <laughs> All right. We always love your program, man. 
I appreciate it so much. You guys have a wonderful uh, holiday season, and uh, thank you so much. Don, let's go ahead and talk to Moretta. Good morning. Oh, he's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> hi, Bob. <laughs> Good morning. Um, my problem now is my Christmas cactus. It's blooming gorgeous. As a matter of fact, it bloomed last year at this time, and then I uh-huh. it bloomed again uh, a few months later. But the uh-huh. problem is the leaves, instead of being puffy and green, they're a dark green, and they look like they're just shriveled up. But it's been like that since the summer. Okay. I don't know. I have given it the hatch-to-grow plant. Uh, you know, I used uh, the rose bow, but yours from the um, uh, mm-hmm. from the nursery. I've used that, and then lately I've been using Super Thrive. And like I said, it's blooming, but it just—I don't know if it's just old. It must be ten years, thirteen years old. But you how, know, how often? Things. How often are you watering it? Uh, normally every Saturday I water okay. it. I always feel it. It's not. You know, it's not over. It's not too wet, and it's not too dry. Am I keeping it too wet? You think? I think you may be letting it get a little too dry because, of course, they're they're tropical cacti, not desert cacti, mm-hmm. and it may just be. Um, have you repotted it at all? No, but you know, it's getting to that point, and I think I'll just break every one of the, you know, the little. Uh, stems because it's drooping so much i thought maybe i should but it's in a large it's like in a 12 inch pot okay well it may just be that the soil that it was potted in originally was not real good quality soil had too much peat moss and stuff in it and that has broken down over time because what you're going to what you're describing is very typically root damage and sometimes oh. it's not your watering it's just that, that the soils uh, it's one of the reasons that I just don't like soils that are full of peat moss and even if it doesn't need a bigger pot um, you may need to slip it out of that, take your garden hose, and just wash away a lot of that old soil and replace it with good soil. Now, I wouldn't break it back because uh, the plant is obviously stressed since those leaves are, you know, not turgid, since they're kind of shriveled and, and limper. And yeah. they will not root. If you break them off, they're just going to rot and die on you. So we they need to do. get the plant... That's- Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need. We need to get the plant healthier before you think about taking cuttings from it. And my thought is probably, you know, sometime in the next two three months. Doesn't have to be today. I mean, this has been going on for a while. But yeah. uh, on a nice warm sunny day, I'd get it out. I'd you know tip that pot over on its side, slide the plant out, and not necessarily break away, but wash away some of that soil, replant it with some fresh soil, and then give it your has to grow, then give it a little bit of super thrive, and uh, see if you can't, okay. you know, get it putting on good growth, because it's uh, it's blooming happily because it's afraid it's about to die. It's not a healthy plant at this point if the leaves look that bad. Right. And, uh, so this this is blooms in this case her last ditch effort to reproduce itself. But I, I think your problem is probably the soil's just in effect worn out because of the nature of the soil it was. Good soil, garden soil doesn't ever wear out. But some of the old potting soil mixes, the people that did that ten year 
years ago probably used a poor quality soil that that needs to be refreshed so to speak okay well i'll try that if not i notice you have some really good looking ones that's what i very good okay thanks have a good you're sure welcome you do the same thank you maretta all right, guess better get a break in here, and I get to talk to you about Rhonda's Nature's Way. You know, I talk a lot about plant health, but boy, especially this year, we all need to focus on our own health. And uh, I was talking with uh, with my engineer uh, off air about you know just just the the lack of good health that many people have probably due to diet, probably due to the amount of huge amount of uh, refined sugar, maybe even genetically modified sugar, if it's beet sugar that they're consuming. And we all, I mean, I don't care what your diet is, unless you're living on 100% organic produce, lots of which you produce yourself, your body probably needs some good supplements, may need some good vitamins. And I'm not talking about the stuff off the grocery store shelves or the chain pharmacy shelves. You need to talk to somebody who really knows nutrition. There's just so much to know and so many things you can do to improve your health and your energy levels. And, you know, issues like sleep and digestion, things like that, they they have answers other than a pharmaceutical med from your doctor. Rhonda, Rhonda's Nature's Way, she and her staff are the people that I rely on. And uh, I tell you, I take more than one thing that I get from Rhonda. Right now, I really am focused on immune system health. That all starts in your gut. There are just so many things that you can do to support your immune system. I personally think that that's going to be our best chance to get beyond COVID, as well as the standard cold and flu season. Rhonda also has not just good supplements, and uh, but she has a lot of good food stuff. Uh, we've all got a little bit of a sweet tooth in us, in us and uh, she introduced me uh, to something called Smart Cakes, and they're like a really tasty cupcake, but no sugar in them, low in carbs, low in calories, and uh, she's giving that that little bit of sweet that you sometimes crave at the end of the meal. She also has great granolas. There's just a lot of good, healthy foodstuffs that you'll find at Rhonda's as well. And keep in mind, she does the red light therapies and the Beamer therapies. She does reflexology at the Northside store. There are many, many different ways that you will maintain, that you will learn and maintain a healthier lifestyle with help from Rhonda's Nature's Way. Open Monday through Saturday, both stores, Southside stores on Southwest Military, Northside Store, corner of I-10 and Callahan. Good people, good products from Rhonda's Nature's Way. All right, back to gardening. And my next three callers are going to be Flo first and then two different guys named Steve. So uh, first up is Flo. Good morning, Flo. Hello, Bob. How are you? Hi. I'm good. It's a beautiful day out there. Can't wait to get back to it. I agree. Hey, I have a neighbor that told me that there is something that will repel squirrels and raccoons um, available, I guess, at one of the box stores. I'm not sure. Is there really something that will repel them? Uh, 12-gauge shotgun does real well on that. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah, not practically in town. Um, There are many, many different animal repellents out there. and all of them work to some degree if the raccoon, the squirrel, the possum, whatever is hungry enough, uh, you know, nothing's going to really stop them. Um, and, and it's funny, uh, sometimes uh, a given, you know, a given raccoon will be repelled by one, but it won't be repelled by the next one. So as a general 
repellent. Um, if they're like digging in your pot plants or flower beds for things like they that, are. I, yeah, I, I use blood meal. Uh, you can go to really? a, a good nursery, and uh, it's just basically dried slaughterhouse blood is what it is, and it's an excellent fertilizer. It's high in iron. It's great for your plants, but I think the squirrels must think that Uncle Charlie's in that uh, soil or something like that because uh, they, even armadillos, will tend to avoid blood meal. Now, uh, deer and things eating on foliages, that's a little bit different issue, and where they're, they're actually chewing on the plants, you can make an excellent repellent by just getting the hottest peppers you can find, whether they're habaneros or, you know, there's some peppers out there are so hot the military's looking at using them for different <laughs> things, and uh, uh, just putting them in your blender, blending them up, maybe throwing in a little bit of garlic. Uh, that is a, you know, something that you can spray on the foliage that virtually nothing will eat the leaves. Now, it may get washed off if we ever get rain again. But uh, where they're digging in the ground, uh, blood meal is real hard to beat. Well, let me ask, too, in that on the golf course, the squirrels are real bad this year, and they're digging up the greens. Would blood mm-hmm. meal work there? It would, um, whether, you know, the practicality of it, I don't know, but it would certainly work. Uh, there are a couple of other things that are good repellents that uh, some creative people are using, and believe it or not, human hair is, uh, is repellent uh, to I, most I people. I heard that, and when I had my hair cut, I put the hair cuttings in the flower pot. I didn't look. <laughs> well, again, it's one of those things that sometimes does, sometimes doesn't. Um, a lot of these products contain some pretty disgusting things. There's a product made from coyote urine that uh, oh, <laughs> works Thanks. reasonably well. <laughs> I knew somebody at one time that went to the zoo and was able to get the uh, manure, the dung from the lion cages, and they put that around, and the deer stayed away. Okay. Uh, but uh, as a general rule, I think you're going to find it hard to beat blood meal. Uh, you will want to keep, uh, if you have dogs, you will want to keep them away from it. It's not going to make them, uh, it's not going to really harm them, but it can give them a little, shall we say, digestive upset uh, if they <laughs> decide to eat it. But um, other than that, it's it's kind of my go-to, and uh, it, it works really well. So would you, you carry it at your nursery? We generally have it in stock. Most any good nursery should have it. The box stores may have it. Uh, I just don't shop the box stores for anything other. Well, I don't shop the box stores except in emergencies. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think you'll find that uh, the blood meal works better than what they've got on the shelf. Okay. Hey, Bob, thank you. And you have a very Merry Christmas. And you do the same, Flo. In fact, a whole wonderful Christmas season. It's a whole lot more than just a day. And... Uh, and I do thank you for the call. I'll tell you what, so I don't get behind here, guys, Steve. So let me get uh, a, a quick commercial set out of the way here, and we'll be right back. Don, no live, so run those recordings. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. 
All right, back to gardening. Have a couple of open lines if you've got a garden question you'd like to get an answer to. Uh, this is this is your last chance to call for today, probably. Uh, we got a couple of open lines: two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. And right now we've got two Steves we're going to talk to, and I don't know how to tell you except that the Steve that just heard a click on the line and a slight change in volume, you are up first. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Bob. Um, Good morning, sir. It's only one Steve. I called in and I got called, got dro- dropped, and I called back in. So one Steve. Ah. <laughs> okay. Well, that makes uh, that makes sense. Uh, you you don't have a split personality or something. We're actually just one good intact person. How can I help? <laughs> I have a bunch of tomato plants that are full of green tomatoes, a lemon boy, uh-huh. and some red plants. And I'm wondering, will they still ripen? I'm keeping uh, them from being frozen. I'm keeping them warm at night, but uh, they're green. Okay. They are going to ripen much more slowly than they would, partly because of the temperature and partly because of the shorter days. But, yes, they will continue to ripen. You may, you know, virtually give up on them. You can always pick them and ripen them on the windowsill. They will turn color more quickly. But uh, if they stay on the plant, then the nutritional quality and the taste actually continues to improve. But you're going to think they're never going to get around to it because they're going to take three times as long as they would in the warmer months. But uh, the longer you can protect them, the better the tomato quality will be, and they will actually continue to increase in size a bit. So... uh, you're you're more fortunate than most of the callers I've had. Many of the callers that I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people tell me uh, horror stories about how everything froze and they forgot to protect them. So you're way ahead of the crowd. So uh, you can harvest them whenever you want to, but the longer they stay on the plant, the better the quality will be. So if I can keep them two more weeks on the plant, will be okay. No, oh, that'll be just fine. But again, don't don't expect them to color up like they. Uh, like they would if it were warmer. It's just it's a much slower process when we get to this time of the year. Second question. I put in an ash tree last year, six-foot sapling. Promptly uh-huh. died on me, but I have a whole bunch of bushes coming up from underneath it. Uh, will that ever turn into anything? Will keep it as a bush or dig it out? Well, if you want to, and, um, you know, it's not terribly surprising. They're pretty sensitive plants. But if you want to make a tree out of that, what you're going to need to do is is really thin it out. You're going to need to get down literally on your hands and knees, select the one strongest uh, little shoot that's coming up and cut away everything else. At this point, that it still can form a central leader. It still can make a good, strong tree. Now, if this were an old tree that had fallen over or something or other or broken off and was sprouting out from the base, I'd tell you to start over. But in this case, um, uh, it's just going to take some work on your part. You're going to have to cut away everything except the one strongest growth. You're going to have a few more things continue to sprout out. So, uh, this is Steve going out about you know every three weeks and cutting away at least once we get back to the growing season, cutting away everything except that one shoot that you want to form the new trunk or the new central leader, as the arborist would refer to it. And uh, it's certainly doable. I, you, you'll have a big head start on uh, as compared to ripping it out and planting a whole new tree. 
And how often should trees or young trees be uh, watered in the wintertime? You know, the secret to watering is when the soil has dried to the proper point, and that's going to depend on sunlight, going to depend on temperature, going to depend on wind. So best thing you can do is water really thoroughly when you water, and every few days go out and just literally stick your index finger down in the soil. When it's dry about an inch deep, it's time to water again. But uh, don't believe anybody that tells you once a week or every three days or once every two months because you just that the weather has so much to do with it. Now, once all the leaves are off the tree, it's not the soil's not going to dry out as quickly because so much of the water that's in the soil, the way it actually goes away is not through evaporation. It's, it's absorbed by the tree and then released out through the tree's leaves as water vapor. So with a deciduous tree like an ash, once it's lost its leaves for fall, it's not going to need watering nearly as often. And an established tree probably won't need watering at all unless we go for 30 days without rain. So just periodically, just, you know, forget about these stupid moisture meters they sell. Those things actually measure the level of salt in the soil through something we call these or electrical conductivity and uh, just use the old index figure when it's dry a couple of knuckles deep water it thoroughly again you just saved me some money I won't buy those moisture meters anymore <laughs> be a big waste of time uh, because uh, the, in, in simplest terms they don't work uh, okay. yeah. last question Bob uh, I put in some landscaping we have flagstones on top of concrete so okay. instead of putting in the uh, typical grouting two inches deep and two inches wide around the flagstones, mm-hmm. we were thinking about having something green, like chondra or something like that. Um, uh-huh. But I'm concerned being that it's concrete below, it'll never keep its moisture in the summertime to ever grow anything. Do you have any suggestions? Um, I'm, I pretty much would tend to agree with you that it's going to be difficult to maintain. Now, if you're able to water it on a daily basis, and if you choose, a, you know, a really hardy plant, um, you you could do it. But it's it's going to be a challenge. And uh, yeah, it uh, is this is it going to be sunny or shady? Uh, sunny. So we'd okay. have to water twice a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, yeah, definitely not dichondra. If I were going to do any grass-like thing, if it was a shade, I'd use dwarf monkey grass. In a sunny spot, uh, the Tiff Bermuda, the golf course grass, uh, that would be your best choice, but uh, it, it's going to be tough to maintain. Good enough. Thank you very much. I wish you a very Merry Christmas, and I appreciate well. your answers. And I I wish you the same. Let me tell you one more thing, just for general knowledge. Um, if you're if you're ever putting down like a flagstone walk or something like that, and that you do have soil down underneath, uh, there you can grow things very successfully with flagstone that way. But the secret there is always allow the plant to be recessed down maybe half an inch. Don't ever plant it up at the top of the flagstone. And if you decide to give it a try on the patio, the same thing would apply. But if the crown, if the growing point of the plant is actually at at the height of the flagstone, you'll totally wear it down walking on it, and it won't survive long. But if you're ever doing a walkway out in the yard or something like that, uh, dip your plant down. Have the crown of the plant actually below the top of the flagstone. And you can make something very attractive out of it. So just put that away in your knowledge bank for the next time you're not dealing with concrete underneath it. Shall do. Thank you much again. 
Bye. It's my pleasure always. Thank you, sir. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Ballyhoo year. Good tides to you wherever you're near. Good tides and good fishing and a cooler full of beer. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Ballyhoo year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Ballyhoo year. May all that you do bring them straight to your hook. All the day be filleting, then bring them home to cook. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. I figured you'd probably be finding a, a seasonal, a seasonal fishing song, and that's a that's another new one, Don. You've done it once again. Anybody new to the show? Uh, when. Mr. Don Cooper Stevens is my engineer every other week. We always finish up on Sunday's last commercial break with a fishing song. And so that's, anyway, good, good humor there and, uh, wishing everybody, uh, fishing everybody a Merry Christmas. It is going to be Steve and Mike and Judith to finish the show up. So good morning, Steve. Bob. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good, sir. How about yourself? Doing well. I have a different Good. dilemma. I, I bought uh, some um, William Medina Growing Green in a ton bag, put it out on a uh-huh. ranch, and yeah. it was all sealed. The cows got to it, or the hogs. I'm not sure what. Egg through the, the nylon bag and started eating the, uh, the fertilizer. Is that a problem for the cattle? No. No. If anything, it might give them a little minor digestive upset but uh uh it's a problem for it's a problem for the rancher that paid good money for that fertilizer and i guess it'll sort of be reprocessed it'll be once through the chicken and now once through the cow so you you may have some really super manure come out of this deal but uh it's the same way with dogs it you know might give them a little upset tummy and who knows what it is that You know, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at these two sleeping black labs. That their motto in life is, "If you can't, if you can't roll it, eat, roll in it, eat it." And yeah. uh, but no, it should not. Uh, it should not cause any problem uh, to the cattle at all. Okay, well, they ate quite a bit. I'd say maybe a couple hundred pounds, but it's probably not just one, but several of them. But yeah. um, so far, they look good. But I just didn't know if there's anything I should do. If I should talk, ask Dr. Kirby about it, or or what. Okay. I tell you what, I, I will make a, a note to ask Dr. Kirby, and if you have more questions, you can certainly uh, call back within his uh, within his show. Let me write write myself a note here. Uh, the only thing I'd tell you to do, of course, is be sure that they've uh, got plenty of water, but you would do that anyway. But it's just there's there's nothing that is not natural in there. Medina starts with, uh, and they pasteurize the poultry litter, so it's free of any pathogens. Uh, he does add some humates. He does add some green sand, but those are not things that would uh, would bother a cow to begin with. So uh, I, I'll ask him, but uh, I'm, I, I, if it were my cows... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they might be one step closer to becoming a, a you know good steak uh, for eating up that kind of good stuff, but I, I don't think you'll have any problem there, Steve. Okay, and then one other unrelated thing for the home garden, I planted some beets. Uh, one of the varieties did well; the other one didn't. Is there any rec- uh, recommended beet variety that you would recommend? Is it too late to plant now? No, um, I, you know the. Uh, Probably my favorite red beet is called Detroit Dark Red. 
Okay. And uh, it's it's a really good beet. Now, all of your beets, uh, the first couple of weeks after they come up, a freeze will hurt them. You'll need to protect them for the first couple of weeks planting this time of year. But once they're up, once they've uh, gotten a little hardiness to them, uh, they'll do extremely well for you. It's a great time to be planting beets. But uh, they're no more cold hardy than a tomato plant for the first couple of weeks. So Detroit Dark Red is always one of the favorites. There's... Uh, Another one that I've grown called Chioga, which is sort of a multi-colored one. But man, if I had to, if I had to pick the the best beet, it'd probably be Detroit uh, Dark Red. And uh, let's see, one other one. I'm thinking back a couple of years. Uh, there's one called Early Wonder that produces a little bit faster. It's also a good red beet, and uh, that would be another good one to try. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're always a wealth of information. I appreciate your assistance. Well, it's always a pleasure, Steve. Get out and have a great Sunday, and we'll talk again. And Mike is up next. Uh, good morning, Mike. Bob, Bob, that fishing song you had on a while ago made me want to start sharpening my fishing hooks. <laughs> oh, man, that know. was really you nice. Know, I, I'm I'm blessed with two great engineers. Uh, Chris and Don alternate weekends, and uh, both of them are characters. But but Don has been in the business, I think, for most of his life, and I don't think there's a song out there that he hasn't heard or doesn't have access to. And how he comes up with all of his uh, fishing songs, I don't know. But I, I I know that we can't legally do it for copyright reasons. But I have a lot of people tell me they wish that we could just uh, produce a CD of Don's fishing socks because so many of them are so good but always anything puts a smile on your face is worthwhile and it always does me every week well you thank him for me you just uh, did he's listening <laughs> bob i have a uh flower bed that's uh maybe four feet wide or deep and uh, about 14 feet long okay and i wanted to know if i can i want to put canna lilies uh in the back uh, there are different varieties. I want about three feet tall. Mm-hmm. I've seen them as much as six feet tall. Right. But uh, what is a good variety for about uh, maybe three feet? Well, there's there's a whole series of them, and they're referred to as the Fitzers Dwarf Hybrids, P-F-I-T-Z-E-R. And uh, there are many different colors that you can get. Uh, that will stay down to that size. Now, there are a few new ones out there, too, that have uh, kind of multicolored foliage along with uh, interesting flowers. But uh, if you're looking for just the best in color, and I trust that this is a really sunny bed, Mike, because cannas, the hotter and brighter, the better. But if you ask for the Fitzer Dwarf Hybrids, uh, you can have salmon, you can have yellow, you can have orange. Uh, there are lots of different colors, and, and they'll stay at about three, three and a half feet is about the average size they attain. Well, that's uh, perfect. I've seen them grow six feet tall in the shade and in the sun and everywhere. Along the river walk behind the old Ursuline Academy. Sure. I had a place down there, and uh, they were crazy. Oh, yeah. But I want to to intermix those with uh, Agapanthus, the lily of the Nile. Will Mm -hmm. they do uh, okay together? They should do fine together. Um, the, the agapanthus will typically bloom a little earlier. Now, with your agapanthus, it's also going to be uh, necessary for you to ask for the dwarf varieties. And the best of the dwarf agapanthus is called Peter Pan 
because standard agapanthus will grow, the plants will grow five or six feet tall, and the bloom spikes may be ten feet tall. Uh, If you've ever seen them on the West Coast, you'll see just enormous ones. So not only dwarf on the cannas, but dwarf on the agapanthus as well. So Peter Pan dwarf. Yeah. Peter Pan is the best uh, blue one. Uh, There's also a dwarf white. I don't know that it has a different name other than dwarf white. But uh, those are both good sun lovers, and they'd be an interesting combination. Okay, and in front of those, I wanted to put uh, uh, Asiatic lilies. Would they all do good together? Asiatic lilies uh, will do. They have a very brief bloom period, and uh, they're going to be, to a large degree, they're going to be about the same size as the agapanthus, but uh, uh, what I might do is rather than doing three rows, I would do your cannas toward the back, and then I would kind of mix up your agapanthus and your uh, Asiatic lilies side by side rather than trying to plant a row of of, uh, agapanthus and then a row of Asiatic. I just sort of interplant them back and forth, and I think that would be a very satisfactory combination. Well, won't the agapanthus get a little taller than the Asiatic? No, no, they're going to be about the same size. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, a couple other questions. I have uh, put out some uh, gardenias, the August Beauty gardenia, and uh, some of them are doing just great, and others are just dying off, and they're right next to each other. And they all get the same same dose of religion all the time. Uh, are they I, shady, sunny? Uh, mostly shade, uh, okay. filtered sun. Okay. Uh, gardenias are just tough to grow here. Um, I mean, if one does well, they should all do well, but I have to suspect it's a water issue. And, um, you know, when you plant them, be, be sure that, you know, you're, you've got that root flare exposed. And sometimes one will just have a stronger root system, which means it uses water faster than the others. And, uh, you know, again, you can't, you can't kill them with constant water, but uh, you sure don't want to let them get too dry. I see problems with gardenias mainly due to soil is probably the, the first problem. And then the second one is, uh, uh, you know, it's just uh, not getting watered often enough. Well, like I say, they all get watered at the same time. But uh, I just don't know. I, I, I want to put out some more for the dead ones. Uh, yeah. didn't make it. Uh, well, I wanted to well, also August, August ask you about that uh, faucet drip uh, that you use. Yeah. Uh, what's the name of it? Freeze, freeze miser. Freeze miser. Yeah, M-I-S-E-R. It's a neat little device, kind of a little bullet-shaped thing, about uh, three or four inches long, about an inch in diameter, and they really work. And uh, it's just the simplest thing. It's a real genius uh, in the way that these uh, inventors put it together. And they're they're local guys from over in the Seguin Stockdale area, but I sure do like their product. Mike, good luck on the gardenia. I'm sorry? Do you carry the freeze miser? Yeah. Yeah, we've got them here at the nursery. Okay. Well, listen, I know someone else wants to get in, so I'll say happy uh, holidays to you and God bless. 